Join me as we explore the realms of the witch, weird and wild, through storytelling, folklore, and walking the land. Welcome to Witch Country. Episode 4 West Country Magic and Wookie Hole. Welcome, friends, to episode four of Witch Country. So, before we dive into West Country magic, I just have a very glowing review here that I'd like to share. So, thank you for taking the time to listen and review the podcast. It's always much appreciated. So I'll start with Katie Ray, who says, amazing storyteller, amazing witchy podcast. I love everything Sarah Robinson puts out, and this is no exception. I was introduced to her through her book, Yoga for Witches, and through her guided meditations on Insight Timer. I am loving this new creative outlet she has for sharing her gifts, her gorgeous voice and beautiful storytelling abilities. You won't be disappointed, especially if you are into all things feminine, witchy, goddess-orientated, and nature-based and seasonal. Thank you so much, Katie. It's really wonderful when people can find me in all different ways, and it's also reassuring that all the many projects that I come up with and dream up are beneficial to people. I sometimes feel like I'm spending a lot of time putting things out on the internet, and it's, it's nice to know that you're enjoying them. And as a PS, uh, Katie mentioned both uh, one of my books and the fact that you can find meditations that I've created on an app called Insight Timer. I'll leave links to those things below in the show notes so you can explore them if you like. Now we'll move on to West Country Magic and a very lovely description of magic to be found in the counties of Somerset, Devon, Dorset and Cornwall. In 1947, Elizabeth Googe wrote in the Horn Book magazine an essay called West Country Magic. The West Country is a kingdom to itself, with an indescribable spirit that is all its own. In Cornwall, your unseen companions are the Celtic saints. Along the sea coast of Devon, they are the Elizabethan seamen. But on Dartmoor, they are often things that are very alarming indeed. And in Somerset, in Somerset you strike deeper still. There is magic in all four counties. It shines in the exquisite silvery light. It breathes in the soft air. It is in the woods and orchards and the old deep lanes, in the running of the streams and the singing of the birds. It is, except on wild, frightening Dartmoor, a very gentle magic, suited to this pastoral country of round green hills dotted with grazing sheep. Ploughed fields of wallflower-coloured earth, where flocks of white seagulls follow the plough, Sheltered villages of whitewashed cottages, beautiful manor houses and very old churches with tall towers, rising in springtime from a mass of apple blossom. And this gentle magic is essentially a fairy magic. I have always half believed in fairies, 
but since I have lived in Devon, I have believed in them entirely. So that's four magical counties involved in the magic of the West Country. But for our journey today, Somerset will be our focus. In the book Somerset Folklore by Ruth Tung, she says this of ancient trees. The remnants of ancient tree worship are clearly to be traced in the Somerset tree beliefs. Oak, ash, beech, holly and apple are all highly esteemed trees, though oaks are believed to be formidable. Hawthorn and elder are of doubtful character, walnut is the devil's tree, and alder, willow and birch are all sinister. Well, that was too much of an invitation for my tree tales today, so let's explore a little bit of that sinisterness. So... In tree tales today, I couldn't resist exploring the world of the older willow and birch in some folklore of the British Isles and a little further afield as well, just to share some fun stories. Older. Should you cut into the trunk of an older tree, the pale wood turns a deep orange, giving the impression of bleeding. The same bleeding happens with elder trees as well, so the two trees hold similar stories. Real-life phenomena can easily be woven into and inspire superstition and folklore. In Celtic folklore, the trunk of the alder conceals a doorway to the fairy realm, another reason not to disturb the tree. However, if a branch were to be broken off by the wind, then it is safe to be used and you may wish to use it for protection as a talisman. Older wood is said to protect the heart and chest. Ritual pipes and whistles are also made of this wood, connecting to elements of air or the spirit of the wind. In ancient legends, mystic charms and superstitions of Ireland, written by Lady Wilde in 1887, She says that a branch of alder over a crib will protect a baby boy from fairy abduction and a rowan will protect a baby girl. According to Wilde, this is because man was formed from an alder tree and woman from the rowan. The alder is also described in the text as possessing strange, mysterious properties to avert evil. Dyes made from older flowers were once used to colour fabric for garments, and folklore says that fairy clothes were dyed with older pigment to conceal them from human eyes. Three colours can be created from this tree. Brown from the twigs, red from the bark, and green from the flowers. The green dye could make clothing with which to camouflage in the deep forest, think of Robin Hood, as well as the clothes of fairies. And continuing that theme of protection with the older plant, Italian witches, Strega, once mixed sap from the Italian alder with that of the madder plant to produce red dye, which could be used to colour ribbons, cords and sashes for use in magic and shielding rituals. Native to the British Isles and Europe, 
older trees most often can be found near water, lining the banks of lakes and rivers, or in bogs and marshes. Irish law suggests that Alder is unlucky to pass on a journey, especially through the dark, boggy places where evil spirits were thought to dwell. And it also might be considered unwise to walk on unstable ground. In German tradition, we meet the older woman under various names. To some, she appears as a seductive woman, but then teaches amorous males a lesson by changing into a bark-like creature. In Danish folklore, the older tree is Eiltro, elven tree, and the beautiful Eilpiger, elder tree girls of the Eilfoket, the elder tree people or elven people, dance on moonlit nights luring many a young man to join them, who discover too late that their backs are hollow and the men are never heard of again. Willow. Most willow species thrive close to water or in damp places, and so a lot of willow folklore has a watery theme. And the moon also appears as an association, the movement of water being affected by the moon. The cascading, drooping shape of the weeping willow, Salix Babylonica, makes it a symbol of sorrow and grief. In Slavic folklore, willows are trees of magic, witches and the devil. In Witch's Garden, plants in folklore, magic and traditional medicine, Sandra Lawrence names Willow as traditionally a wood of gallows, and we're back to sorrow again. But a willow wand repelled evil, or made a useful water divination rod. Its healing properties made willow a sought-after tree by village wise women, and the willow's healing and superstition became one, and the tree became called the witch's tree. As many trees were, as of course many had healing qualities that afforded them similar connections or particular warding qualities like the rowan tree. In Ireland, the willow might be known as the commoner of the woods, as it could, it was said, uproot itself and follow lonely travellers at night. And the sound of the wind rustling through the branches was said to be the whispering of the elves or fairy folk and the term Wind in the Willows would become the title of the book by Kenneth Graham, referring perhaps to the fairy tale qualities of the story of Ratty, Mole, Mr. Toad, and the much feared Wildwood. Birch. Bundles of birch have long been used to drive out malevolence in its many forms. Magically minded folks might use a broom made of birch to cleanse and purify their homestead. Broomsticks were once commonly made of birch twigs. Or use birch kindling to light fires to welcome the first sunrise of spring or summer. When birch was burned, it was thought to aid concentration and lift the spirits. All kinds of spirits, in fact. In Scotland... Birch branches were used as fuel in whiskey distilling and smoking meat and fish, so valuable indeed. 
In 1842, J.C. Loudon, in his Encyclopedia of Trees and Shrubs, wrote of the birch. The branches are employed as fuel in the distillation of whiskey. The spray is used for smoking hams and herrings, for which last purpose it is preferred to every other kind of wood. The sap can be tapped as it rises in spring and fermented to make birch wine, a process still practised in the highlands today. Of old, the druids made the sap into a cordial to celebrate the spring equinox. Within the branches of birch trees, there may be found nest-like clusters of twigs. These are the work of a fungus which prompts this growth. The fungus then feeds on the new shoots. These growths are known widely in England and Scotland as witches' brooms or witches' knots, and it was thought that they appeared after witches had flown over the tree. The more clusters, the more witches had been by. Silver birches, Betula pendula, are a particular favourite of many, and easy to identify with their silver-white papery bark. Poets have been moved by the beauty of silver birches, and in varying accounts it is Alfred Lord Tennyson and Samuel Taylor Coleridge that popularise the adjective silver in relation to birch and graceful lady of the woods, respectively. Though they both may have been drawing on existing folk terms for the tree. So from our tales of trees, let's return to the county of Somerset, which is where I am exploring this month in February. In fact, there is so much magic and so many stories in this county, I've got a feeling I might be coming back here. But for now, we're at Wookie Hole, and I have a story of the Witch of Wookie to tell you. They say that in her youth, she was a very beautiful woman, yet no man fell in love with her, and so she became bitter, and she made a bargain for the powers of evil, so that she may wreak her vengeance upon all mankind. Her devilish imps, dogs and goats no doubt assisted her in her wicked work, and she, with her loathly helpers, sat in the caves of Wookie Hole, plotting misery for all the countryside. She blighted crops and sent illness to flocks and herds. She wove spells that created suspicion and unease in happy homes. Some stories claim that she was just an old woman who lived in the cave, blamed for everything that went wrong by the locals, but others say she was a witch who tormented all the village and her cackling laughter could be heard emanating from deep within the caves at Wookie Hole. Hearing of the villagers' distress, the abbot of nearby Glastonbury sent Father Bernard to the caves and he went to Wookie to seek the hag in her den. He entered the cave chanting his psalms but the witch and her cave dwellers did not welcome this intrusion. 
she threw spell after spell at Father Bernard. But he seemed shielded by some air of goodness, so she tried to flee the caves. But Father Bernard dipped his chalice in the waters of the cave and blessed it, making it holy water, and with this liquid he doused the witch and all around her, and all was turned to stone. And today, if you go there, you may see, as many have over the centuries, the petrified witch in her kitchen, frozen by Father Bernard of Glastonbury. It is said, from that moment, no further evil has been issued from the cave at Wookiee, and that anyone may enter Wookiee Hall now and emerge unharmed. But who knows, with so many hidden caverns under the earth, this place has never truly lain silent. Now, it was my great good fortune to be guided around the caves of Wookie Hole with Chris, who is an expert caver and man of great wisdom. So it was a real honour and delight to journey with him. And I thought as we move through the tunnels with the lights and the lanterns that in my time I have created guided meditations similar to ideas of journeying through tunnels with flickering lights. So as I tell you my journey through the caves, I thought I would tell it as a little story meditation. And if you'd like to close your eyes and imagine the imagery, then feel free to do so. Maybe it might transport you just for a moment into this otherworldly, underworldly realm of the Wookiee Hole Caves. We begin at the beginning. A great yawning stone cave welcomes us and there are neat handrails and organised steps to take us down. An old wooden door from the 1920s when these caves were first opened to the public allows us to draw inwards is crunching gravel underfoot and as we walk downstairs the world outside becomes quiet the temperature drops just a little and glowing lights lure us deeper into the caves the first cave is that of the goat herder. Remains found of goats and humans and a crystal ball, a key and a dagger. A mystery indeed of those who dwelled here. Further into the cave we pass dusty bottles and a prop cauldron luring us into ideas of witches and brewing magic.
descending further into the caves. Ferns and moss cling to the walls, and the drip, drip, dripping of rainwater can be heard seeping through the stone, creating tiny pools of crystals that glisten in glowing lights, and the flowing river that runs around each cave and leads us onwards. We journey into the famed witch's kitchen. But first, we meet her familiar. A little stone shaped like a small dog. Rounded head and curling tail. Standing before the little dog to our right, here is the witch. A rock formation that appears to be a woman. Once she held a pillar of crystal, a pillar of crystalline deposit that looked like a distaff, which marked her out as a female. And she looks out over a lake with a little boat on. Glowing lights upon the rocks of purples, blues and oranges light the space but my guide, Chris, tells me that once upon a time these caves would have been dark and the only light would have been flickering candle. There, the moving light would have cast upon her face and maybe she would have appeared to move. Passing behind the wick, is very clear water held in what is called the witch's cauldron. And smooth, white-formed crystalline deposits look like bubbles rising from the cauldron. And the drip, drip, drops cast into the water, rippling, clear and magical. From the white stones and glowing lights, we move into the great hall, the second chamber, and the highest of Wookiee Hall. A vast, craggy rock sky rises up around us. And onwards, to the witch's chimney. This narrow tunnel of rock rising skywards as if a chimney above the embers of a burning hearth. It is here that the witch marks reside, a huge chimney, a place for spirits to rise in and out of, a perfect place to place your witch's marks. The witch marks are the overlapping V's and M symbols, the warding off symbols, rather than the daisy wheel we've met before that lures perhaps the spirits in to trap them. 
These are definitely the apotropaic marks, the warding away, the casting away, and hopefully no witches will be encouraged to draw down the chimney now. And then, standing in the chimney, I am told that there is a trick of body heat and cool air that makes it feel as if there is a cold chill running at the back of your neck. And I can feel it as I look up into the chimney. More lights, more marks, ferns and mosses, and a cold wind that wraps around my neck. Onwards now to the witch's parlour, the third chamber. Here, the swirling waters of whirlpools have created a great dome-shaped roof and a curving cavern. Still waters reflect the rock roof above. And today it is lit with blues and purples. It feels like residing within a giant oval opal. And then, through a lamp-lit man-made corridor, we find ourselves in the newest chamber, Chamber 20. A huge space with sloping rock walls that run down, down into the water. Rivulets of water have created channels in these rocks, and they are known as the Rillencarren Stones, a word that feels just on the cusp of being onomatopoeic, rolling, spilling off the tongue like trickling waters that made these marks. We may never know the full extent of the labyrinths of caves and caverns in this place, But as we take a final lamp-lit corridor of glowing light past brass lanterns, we come once more into the light and the sun is shining and there is a sense that we have met just a little magic on our journey. And if I'm honest, For many days after my journey into the caves, I can still feel that cool chill on the back of my neck. So that brings us to the end of our journey today, but I have so much more to tell you about Wookie Hole and the witch and the history. So we will return to this place. If you have questions about witch marks and witches and found bones and artefacts, we will return. But for now, I wish you a warm and happy February as the days begin to lengthen and the sun begins to shine and the days begin to warm. Happy February, everybody. I'll see you next month.
Thank you for joining me on the journey today. I hope as we part ways you feel a little enchanted and bewitched, inspired perhaps to walk a new path next time you head out into your own witch country. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing. If you'd like to come and say hello, you can find me on Instagram at This Is Witch Country. I'd love to hear your ideas, feedback, and suggestions for further adventures into the wilds. Until next time, enjoy your walks in the wilds of the witch country.